I agreed to come on this podcast, Lucy, because you asked me nicely. If you'd have like told me to come on this podcast, I would have said no thanks. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a podcast sponsored by Sapphire, home of frictionless digital systems. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and in this episode, I'm very happy to be joined by Matt Phelan, co-founder and CEO of The Happiness Index. His is a business which takes a fascinating data-driven approach to company culture and the happiness and the engagement of employees. Matt has just delivered his first TED talk at TEDx in Brighton, where the topic was 12 million lessons in happiness. Welcome, Matt. Wonderful to have you. Oh, well, what a lovely intro. Lovely, lovely to be here, Lucy. And really, I'm really excited about getting into this conversation. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Tell me first then um, about the TEDx in Brighton. I've always wanted to kind of find out what goes on behind the scenes. How did it feel and what was your preparation like? Well, well, well the first thing is I lost my voice. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? I did a TED talk and lost my voice. I've never done anything like that before. So you do a bit of rehearsals and my my voice, you can probably hear a bit of it now. It, it couldn't handle it. So I'm not, I wouldn't be cut out for any kind of acting or EastEnders or Coronation Street job, unfortunately. I found that out. But it's amazing. Like, if you get the opportunity to do a talk, one of the most amazing things is meeting the other speakers. Like, you get to spend time with them. Um, that's incredible. But if you go, all TED, all TED speakers are normal human beings as well, So just like anyone is. So just grab people and have a chat with them afterwards. Like, I must have spoke to about 30, 40 people on the day, and that and that makes it, like... Because you put your stuff out there, don't you? You put your data out there. It's a bit like this podcast, Lucy. People interpret it how they want. You explain it how you want it to be seen and understood, but everyone's got their own context and life and, and they bring it to life with their own meaning. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. cool to have those conversations. And you were talking about 12 million lessons in happiness. Now, presumably those 12 million are the data points that, that you're collecting on behalf of businesses. Are these the things that you know about people's workplace happiness I think TED talks can be intimidating in a way because a lot of TED talks is about someone's critical moment where their whole life changed in a sliding doors moment right but I'm pretty boring I haven't really had any of those moments I think sometimes when you watch a TED talk it can be inspirational but it can also be hard to relate to because the stories can be so big and so huge that you think wow like well, me specifically, nothing's ever happened interesting to me. But what I wanted to do is bring the data. So there's not really any, there's not that, there's not the big anecdotes there. Um, I just wanted to bring what we'd learn from 100 countries, from 12 million data points, um, from 1 million human beings. And I think in my, what I want to say is this is a story about you. Like that was my sort of big opening I wanted to do. But you get a bit nervous at the beginning. Because uh, that's what it is. Although it's 12 million data points from 1 million hum- human beings, it's a story about all of us. It's a story about the audience, a story about you, Lucy. So ironically, beforehand, my data guy said, um, that's 14 million data points now, Matt. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not changing it now. Well, look, I really want to find out what you um, talked about, because however good our company culture is, there will be days when you feel, you know, overwhelmed, actually, by what goes on in your workplace. I will um, tell you that today I have been criticised by several people online um, in a kind of remote, I'm working from home by myself, and I have felt 
really overwhelmed and quite tearful at times today. And I've struggled to reach out to people and say, look, this is how I'm feeling. And, and, you know, some of the reaction has been brilliant. This is the kind of thing that we all deal with all the time. And this is what you're getting into, isn't it? Tell me a bit more about it. So I've got some good news for you, Lucy. Turns out, turns out that, you know, when you go on the internet and you have to prove that you're not a robot, I'd probably say today confirms that you're not a robot. Um, because all those things that are happening to you, they're, they're what make us special. They're what make us human beings. Um, and what we were looking into is, so I released a book called Freeing to be Happy, The Business Case of Happiness. So at the beginning, I want to bring everyone up to speed on that rather than having to go and buy the book, which is happier employees are more productive, more creative, sell more and create better financial outcomes for their businesses. That's the old story, right? That's what we've known. The happiness index has been covering that for ages, 28 years of data that, that that back those points up. So we just that's the starting point, okay, for everyone. So what I wanted to share is what is new, like what's the new stuff that's coming out? Um, like what are we learning as we delve deeper into this story? Um, and your point is a very topical point, um, which is we're often told at work not to be emotional. And what the problem with that is, is it being emotional that makes us all those things like more creative, uh, sell more and so on. It's how we connect with each other. So the number one driver of happiness, um, which drives all those other things is relationships, but you can't form a relationship unless you share emotions. So it, by telling people to stop being emotional, what you're actually doing is, is dropping off is you're actually um, impacting happiness because if two, two people tell you you're oversensitive or you're too emotional, they're stopping you are stopping you your each other forming a relationship together um, because you're not having things like empathy if you're stopping happiness you're actually stopping performance so um all these things are massively intertwined so we were trying to take that story on um and pick out a couple of new um data points which is hard to do in 15 minutes lucy <laughs> but that was the sort of the basis of it i don't know if that helps set the scene no, absolutely. And absolutely. I mean, let's broaden it out and say, um, you know, we started talking about bringing um, our emotions to work. So if we're going to do that, we need to sort of bring our authentic selves to work. And that opens up, you know, what that is and, and whether the, the, the work culture is a safe place for you to do that. Yeah. Um, are these things that you will coach companies into, you know, discovering? Yeah, and that's kind of where I tripped the audience a little bit. You shouldn't trip the audience a little bit, but there is a bit of a DNA to a TED talk, which is you sort of build them up, bring bring everyone in one direction, and then and then take it away from them because the data saying being emotional at work, but and there's a massive but here, and and not being emotional at work uh, actually leads to all those things that um, are really toxic, like bullying, discrimination, suicide. So we brought out some of those stats, which are horrific absolutely horrific like 52 percent of people um experienced burnout in the last year um like that's mass that's half of us half of us experienced burnout last year like that's huge um but what happens is if you're emotional in an organization that's not ready you can often be labeled the troublemaker so that's kind of where i led the audience like oh it's brilliant we can all be emotional now let's um i created this concept called the super happiness suit that we all create to protect ourselves and then I encouraged everyone to take off the super happiness suit it's like an advanced version of the mask but then actually if you do that if the environment's not ready 
you're the troublemaker. And we see that happen all the time where people start sharing their emotions and the organization's not ready for it. So we actually talked um, to people about about what needs to be um, present in a in an, a cultural environment for that to be able to happen before. And the example I would use is it's like an astronaut landing on Mars and removing their suit before they fix the environment. And that's what it's like. So you, you'll see all the memes like I'll oh, be your true self, be your authentic self, blah, 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 blah. That's true. If you are working in a place that has the right ingredients, one of those ingredients would be psychological safety. Um, so the um, culture, the work work cultures have uh, an inbuilt immune uh, defense to change. So if you rock up and try and be a bit different to everyone else and it's not ready for that, the antibodies are released and, um, and, and, and you're, you're on your way. You're, you're on your way out. And, and that happens in businesses all the time. They, they say they want change, but then when the change comes, they resist it. Um, so it's all about how we create a right environment to bring people through that. No, absolutely. I can see. I mean, if you don't feel safe, you're very vulnerable, aren't you? I wanted to bring up the generational difference because when I first started in the workplace, I, I worked for a long time and then I took time out to have kids and then I came back. When I came back, everything was quite different because of that yeah. time that I'd taken out. When I first started work, I worked at the BBC and I also know people who worked at newspapers where it was really not uncommon yeah. to be shouted at. It was not uncommon to feel intimidated. You'd kind of take your life in your hands when you went up to somebody at the news desk um, to ask them for something. You'd be scared a lot of the time. And being a junior person in that environment with all those experienced people, you expected to feel scared. Now I think that that is, people don't expect to feel scared. And if you make them feel scared, they don't like it. And, you know, for somebody like me, I have to take on board, well, just because I had a really bad time, don't pay it forward and make other people feel bad. Um, So do you think that there is a change for the better in that regard? Absolutely. And and this comes up a lot, Lucy. I was on this panel of FTSE 100 HR directors recently. One of the HR directors said to me, when's a new generation just going to understand and get on with it? <laughs> and I was like, they're not. And and the reason they're not, and the irony of this, this person who said it to me, is they're a parent, right? So, and this is the irony, this generation that are coming to work and not, not um, accepting that, They've been taught that by their parents. They've been taught that you shouldn't put up with that. Now, when it's their child and they hear that third party about how their company's treated them, that, that, that's terrible. But when it's someone else's child, they're like, well, it should just be how it's always been. Like, that's what I had to go through. So these, the next generation haven't just made this stuff up in their heads. They've been taught it by their parents. But then when other people's children come into the workplace, they're not having it. So um, this is where data really comes in um, and helps because I believe that all generations want these things, these radical things that we're talking about. Because let's, let's, right, let's read them out back to you, Lucy. And let's think, um, what, what age were you when, when you had your first job, Lucy? My first job, oh my gosh, uh, straight out of university, say so what, 22? 22. So uh, I'm going to read out you these radical things that these radical youngsters want, right? So these are the four top drivers of happiness. Um, I'll do them in reverse order. So psychological safety. For me, psychological safety is that you can make a mistake at work and you won't be fired for it. 
make 10 mistakes in, in a row. That's like, that's bordering on incompetence. That's different. But we need to be able to make mistakes to learn. Um, freedom to take opportunities, feelings of acknowledgement, and positive relationships. So these four things drive happiness. Like, they're not, these are not radical, crazy things that any other generation hasn't wanted. There's just, for me, there's a less of um, acceptance. And there also is, is more choice, Lucy, and at all, all worlds and, and walks of life, because the more technology has changed, the easier it is to find that job, because it's also easier for people to organise themselves. So if at a newspaper, 20 people were fired... They all go back to where they live. They may phone each other. They may have had each other's phone numbers. But now you set a WhatsApp group up, share information so quickly. Um, so technology has allowed people to organise and also to tolerate less, less, less rubbish and less crap. Um, so the things that we're talking about that the new generation want, I don't think are generation specific, but I do think there's a, um, a less of a tolerance. But I do think technology has enabled um employees to to put up with less crap and and that includes the really serious stuff like sexual discrimination and so on that can, can be shared very quickly very publicly where there's evidence and where the where that person is is in the right i don't think that's always a always a bad thing i think it was way too easy to cover up cover up bad behavior in the past i know you've got a stat that i wanted to find out about which was about women feeling less happy in the workplace than men and i mean just sticking with you know my sort of previous experience i know that men used to get on better because they would go to the pub with the boss they might even play golf with the boss. I Apparently, I hear that that still happens. And, you know, it still can lead to um, preferential treatment. So is that why women are disgruntled or is there a, a specific reason? I think um, in our data, so the data we're talking about here is uh, women are unhappier in the workplace. And it is related to those things that I have mentioned before. It is around psychological safety, positive relationships, freedom to take opportunities and feelings of acknowledgement even in our organization we've only just started talking about the menopause um, and periods publicly as a group and as a team so there are so many people that would would have been scared only a year ago two years ago to talk about the menopause so we're on a massive like change and development curve as a country as organizations but they are things that do impact women um childbirth time out of your career and so on and there are companies out there that didn't hire women because they were worried that they were going to get pregnant like that's what's going on and this bigger picture is starting to come together now so i'm not surprised we know lucy that there's a gender pay gap so i can speak as a male that if you paid me less than my colleague i'd be pretty unhappy about it so to me, it's pretty obvious when you think about it. But the data, I think, um, is important to, to move it from a hunch to a, right, we can see this. We can clearly see that there is this invisible um, gender happiness gap. And, it, and if you fast forward it, Lucy, to what we were saying earlier, if you're unhappier, you don't perform as well. You're less creative, you're less productive. So this creation for women of less psychological safety and so on actually is disadvantaged you there, not just in money, actually in performance when you play it forward again so the whole thing the whole thing is linked so let's try and do something about this it's got to come from the top hasn't it it's got to be a leadership issue i think it needs to come from both um i think uh employees need to keep putting it on the agenda and reminding uh, what what's important 
but 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 unless the leadership team believe in this at the ceo the board the directors it won't go anywhere there's also a second level where it stops which is where middle management don't believe in it because we do see cases of the ceo and the board really getting behind something that's come up from the new employees but there's this weird kind of like mid middle management that filter it and police it and don't want the world to change because they're a bit like you said like they may be 20 years into their career and that's how it was for them. It was hard for them. So they want it to be hard for everyone else. I just don't think anyone wins in that scenario. That might give someone a little ego kick, but I don't think that ultimately even helps the individual that's policing that. So I mentioned this meeting to somebody at the weekend and he said to me, uh, you know, a bit like you've already said, you know, when when are these people going to start whinging and start making some money? And it's about the business case for happiness, isn't it? You must come across that all the time. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I ended up calling the the byline of my book, The Business Case for Happiness. So so we're free to be happy, The Business Case for Happiness, because about one third of people intuitively get what we're talking about. They just get it like good CEO, good CEOs just get it. They know this isn't like a new thing. Like they know that if you look after your people, they're going to be more loyal. Like it's not rocket science to work that out. But then there's one third of people that are data people. You show them the data um and that's what um that's that they'll get on board with it they'll get on with the business case i do actually believe that there's still one third of people that don't get it because they have what we would call experience bias um surround sugar is one of those going crazy at the moment because uh people dare to work from home he put a tweet out, out about i think about pwc saying that everyone's this that and the other because they're working from home and it's a disgrace so alan sugar undoubtedly Um, has been financially successful in his career so his experience bias is that that getting everyone in the in the office getting them to work hard has worked for him so he thinks that is the way our data suggests that that's in spite of that I am sure Alan Sugar Sir Alan Sugar as I'm sure he'd want to be called has many really good skills that if he then also treated people in in what we would say um, those areas he could have done it even better. So we say um, you, you've you've achieved in spite of what you could have done. You could have had people firing on even more cylinders. So it's it becomes a bit of a, this is the way I did it. Everyone else should do it that way. In reality, that's why I love data, because uh, the world's a lot more grey than black and white um, when you get into the data. Now, I know that um, you've not only done a TED talk um, and written a book, but you've also got a podcast because I listened to a couple of episodes <laughs> at the weekend when I was on, on my run. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I particularly enjoyed the episode with you and your co-founders in which you went round the table and you asked each other what makes you happy. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you again, what makes you happy? Well, I can't remember what I said on that particular episode, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, the freedom is the one that is all that that's why my book is called freedom to be happy um there's the eight neuroscience themes i've mentioned four of them um of what your heart needs but for me um freedom to take opportunities positive relationships is number one for everyone in every country it's the same for all human beings um but i take that's why i work um for tight group of people that um i I have strong relationships with. So that for me is like Maslow hierarchy needs. I couldn't even work somewhere. I didn't have positive relationships. I just couldn't do it for more than one minute. 
Um, so freedom to take up freedom is just so important for me. Um, creative freedom, freedom to make mistakes, um, freedom in all my relationships. Like I agreed to come on this podcast, Lucy, because you asked me nicely. If you'd have like told me to come on this podcast, I would have said no thanks. <laughs> like because that's important to me. Like actually, someone being nice and having manners is important to me. Like I get people that contact me and say, "Oh, you." you uh you need to come on this podcast it's got like 20 million downloads or whatever or whatever and it's going to blah 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 and it's like well you've not said uh please yet <laughs> and it's not that i don't it's not that i want someone to beg me i just want them to be polite um and f- so freedom for me allows me to pick and choose what i do rather than have to do stuff because that's what i feel that i have to do so i willingly come to your podcast lucy because i want to be here <laughs> thank you <laughs> i've learned a lot about having how to uh, ask nicely for things oh, you obviously get more if you do that than uh... it goes a long way it goes a long way being, being having manners and, and being polite with people so did you set out your kind of ethos when you started out in business did you know that you wanted to to be that kind of a business or did that just evolve as you went along good question I think um I left my job because of a toxic work I used to work at the Guardian great culture I went to work with one of the Saatchi businesses and it's just toxic masculinity on scale. Like a lot of that industry had, had that problem back then. People love programs like, um, what is that program? Mad Men. People love Mad Men, but you love Mad Men until you actually work in Mad Men. Um, and you look at follow Mad Men through, they all end up pretty sad and lonely. So it all starts off pretty exciting. Um, but over time, they just become worse versions of themselves. And I just saw really quickly, I didn't want to be part of that. So I just thought, you know what, um, I'm going to start my own business with um, with one of my mates who was working for Sapphire at the time. <laughs> and um, I think he went to Ian and asked some advice. And I think Ian may have said, Ian Caswell, who's uh, one of the founders of uh, Sapphire, I think he said, go for it and give it give it a crack. And, and Sapphire actually became one of our first customers. So um, yeah, it's important to treat people along the way. So Sapphire gave us gave us a chance really because when you're starting out that's all you're looking for you're looking you're looking for one or two people that's all you need if you're starting a business just one or two people that will give you a chance you still got to deliver on that chance and that's how it all started but it was it was always ingrained in what we didn't want to become and because we were data people we were tracking digital marketing for people like sapphire um, it became natural for us to ask ourselves there's a saying in marketing, isn't there, uh, Lucy, 50% of the marketing works. I just don't know what 50%. So we were kind of working on that, like trying to get more data on that. But then we started applying that same thing into culture. There's all these memes out there around like what's what's good culture, what's a bad culture. So we built the happiness index um, to start to look at employee engagement and happiness. So that's how we built the platform to measure how our employees were thinking and feeling. Um, and then it turned into a commercial business or, uh, or a few years later. Um but at the beginning, it was just a, how can we visualise this culture? That's fantastic. And you're crowdfunding at the moment. And I'm not uh, averse to giving you a plug if you want to say where <laughs> people can, uh, can contribute. Yeah, well, the, the, the reason we're crowdfunding at the moment, Lucy, is I've always felt uncomfortable because the Happiness Index has got this like really strong vision for freedom to be human. It's all about the people. It's all about community. It's a very friendly company until it comes to investment where you've got to have 25 grand. <laughs> and not everyone's got 25 grand. Um, but we've got so many people that support us. We wanted to, to test out. So we're on Cedars um, where you can invest like £19.80 or something as an individual. Um, and for us, we felt that was the final piece that we needed to fix about our organisation, which is 
you can't be all about the people if the buy-in rate is 25 grand because the people don't have 25 grand sitting behind the sofa. So, um, yeah, if go to Cedars, check out the Happiness Index, uh, uh, Capital at Risk and all that sort of stuff, Lucy, I think I have to say. But, yeah, check it out, make your own mind up. I just say to people, there are organisations you can uh, invest in that will give you uh, bigger growth uh, promises and bigger return promises. But we're all about the vision and, and looking after people. And I, we hope you make money. But the, our vision and our plan is, is bigger than that. We really want to help people across the world. So invest to get some good returns. But it's also more than that for us. This is more than a business. Fantastic. So I'm going to pull um, our little session to an end here. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you for coming on. And I'll make sure that all the details go into the, into the show notes. So thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Lucy. It's a pleasure. We're going to be talking more about psychological safety, actually, on the on the podcast in um, in relation to being different at work in a future episode. So listen out for that on the growth business. But for now, goodbye.